I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. RNA therapies and vaccines have already shown their power. Nutcracker Therapeutics is taking a nod from the high-tech sector to harness semiconductor-like biochips and microfluidic engineering to create a fully automated platform to increase the speed and scale at which RNA therapies can be discovered, developed, and manufactured. It's developing multimodal RNA therapies that attack multiple disease mechanisms at once. We spoke to Jeff Nasrati, Chief Business Officer of Nutcracker, about the company's platform technology, its lead program targeting HPV-driven tumors, and its focus on multimodal RNA therapies. Jeff, thanks for joining us. No, my pleasure. Happy to be here. We're going to talk about RNA, Nutcracker, and its development and manufacturing platform that has the potential to rapidly bring these therapies to patients across a wide range of diseases. Let's start with RNA, though. Maybe we can remind listeners about the role of RNA and and what it is. Yeah, happy to. Uh, So I think most of your uh, listenership is probably familiar with the central dogma of biology Uh, where DNA is used to encode RNA, which then encodes proteins. Um, That's a a straightforward description. Uh, RNA is essentially a chemical messenger molecule uh, that encodes protein recipes. So uh, the RNA is created in the nucleus. You you read off a gene, essentially, and then that messenger RNA can go out into the cytosol, uh, and then the ribosomal machinery turns that into a protein. So you can think of DNA as a library of protein recipes, RNA carries those recipes out to the, to the cell to be made into various different types of protein. They can be structural proteins. They can be enzymes. Uh, most of the biological functions of your body are, are driven by proteins. So it's an essential messenger uh, in the basic biology of the cell. Um, let me just clarify. When I speak about RNA in that manner, I'm talking about mRNA. There's other flavors of RNA, uh, like miRNA, siRNA. Those play a different role, but most people, when they talk about RNA, mean the messenger version of it, which encodes proteins. We've seen a a number of RNA therapies come to market. They come in many flavors, everything from antisense oligonucleotides, which have largely been used to treat genetic diseases, to the COVID-19 vaccines, which drew a lot of attention to mRNA. How broad a set of conditions are amenable to an RNA approach? Uh, it would probably be easier to say the things that weren't amenable to RNA, just because proteins are so essential to the way to the, you know many of the body's functions. So I think with things like the COVID nineteen vaccines, we, we're really just scratching the surface of what can be done uh, with mRNA based approaches. So vaccines work; uh, they work very well. I think we've seen that very clearly in the clinic. Uh, and there's a lot of new real estate in terms of diseases that can be addressed with mRNA vaccines. Uh, in, in terms of both improving speed and therapeutic potency. 
especially true when you're looking for vaccines where you want to get a T cell response on top of a B cell response. But there's also a vast universe of things which you can do with using mRNA to encode proteins that aren't vaccines. So you mentioned things like genetic diseases. So there's rare genetic diseases where you have a protein deficiency. And you could imagine using RNA to deliver, uh, to, to delivering RNA to the cells that are missing that protein and essentially curing that disease by providing the RNA to encode that particular protein. Uh, we can imagine using RNA to deliver systemic therapy, uh, essentially to use the body as a factory uh, for the production of systemic therapies, of, of systemic protein therapies, if you will. Things like monoclonal antibodies or bispecific antibodies. Um, anytime you want to get a protein into the body, either inside the cell or systemically, uh, you can use RNA-based approaches to do it. Uh, so unsurprisingly, its footprint is pretty broad. Uh, there's a whole host of diseases in cancer and autoimmune disease and metabolic disease and rare disease and infectious disease that are extremely, extremely amenable to RNA-based approaches if you're talking about protein encoding RNA. What makes RNA therapies particularly compelling? What advantages do they offer over other modalities and, and what might they be most appropriate for? Great question. So I think the first one is obvious and that's speed. So we, we learned this from the COVID vaccines. Uh, you can go from a concept to a therapy distributed around the globe uh, very, very rapidly. Uh, once you learn to make RNA effectively, you can make a lot of different RNAs very quickly uh, and you can do it. It's a small molecule. So as long as you can handle uh, the difficulty of manufacturing RNA, uh, you can go from sequence to clinic to approved product in record time. And, and that's a huge advantage in pandemic situations, but also just purely in terms of getting therapies to patients faster. Um, everybody, we, we all know the, the lengthy timelines of drug development. Anything you can do to go faster in that regard is better for patients um, and better for everybody, honestly. Um, so speed is probably the biggest advantage uh, of RNA. Uh, there's a scale advantage as well. Uh, the ease of screening you know, hundreds or thousands of constructs as potential therapeutics. This is before you get to the clinic when you're still doing early research. Uh, it's very scalable. Again, you're just encoding different, you know, RNA protein, uh, sorry, RNA sequences, essentially. So if you have an engine uh, for the creation of many different diverse RNA molecules, you can screen a lot of constructs and pick the best possible therapeutic uh, to take into the clinic. So you have a speed advantage, you have a scale advantage. Um, there's also things you can do with RNA that, you, that would be really hard to do conventionally. So there's classes of proteins that would be difficult to impossible to make conventionally. Uh, and by that, I mean things like receptors or transmembrane proteins, things that would never fold properly if, if expressed in say like a Cho cell line and then purified. Uh, you can't make those conventionally. Uh, same thing would be true for things like multivalent or multi-specific multi uh, antibodies or proteins. These are just not, not um, molecules that can be made conventionally, but you could make them in the cell through RNA, right? You, would, you can give the, the transmembrane sequence uh, encoded in RNA, traffic it to the cell of interest, and then that protein would fold and behave normally because it's in its natural context. So there's a whole new set of protein therapeutics that can be explored um, through RNA that really would be difficult to impossible to explore conventionally. 
Um, other advantages, sorry, there's a lot of advantages for RNA. Um, concepts like multimodality, uh, combining multiple mRNA molecules into a single drug product, uh, you know, each, each RNA molecule encoding a different therapeutic protein. Um, this is a really attractive feature in mRNA that's really difficult to do conventionally. You can do it, but it's extremely slow and expensive. Um, this is really relevant in cancer where, you know, immune evasion or tumor evasion of therapy is a, is a huge problem. And being able to attack tumors from multiple angles is a tremendous advantage therapeutically. So again, straightforward to do with RNA, not necessarily easy to do anything you know, in any other manner. Um, I guess finally, one thing that mRNA does really well is that it gets inside cells. So if you're talking about administering a, a, um, a therapeutic orally or via intravenous infusion, um, that protein that, or that therapy has to find, if, it, if its target is inside a cell, it has, to find, it has to find some way in. And that's often a difficult design challenge. Uh, with the right delivery vehicle, mRNA gets into cells just fine. In fact, it can't do anything unless it gets into cells. Uh, so you really have just a whole host of advantages, speed, scale, new classes of therapeutics, multimodal therapeutics, intracellular therapeutics. These are really things that mRNA does exceedingly well uh, that other classes of therapy often struggle with. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, that was a bit of a laundry list, uh, but there's really quite um, a number of advantages where you know, mRNA uh, or mRNA-based therapies uh, are, are really, really compelling. Um, I think they're very appropriate in all of those settings. Um, I don't think our goal, at least at Nutcracker, is to replace conventional uh, like monoclonal antibody therapy. We really want to go, not, not that we would be sad to do that, mind you, uh, but I think we want, to, uh, we want to address new spaces, uh, new types of therapy, new classes of molecules, things that have never been seen before and that can really have a huge impact on, on patients and disease. How does mRNA differ from other modalities that are targeting RNA? And does it have the same challenges in terms of things like half-life and targeting cells and tissues throughout the body? Or are you able to, to be more specific in where you target? Yeah, great question. Uh, there's a couple of ways to think about this. So I think of the RNA-based therapies in kind of two classes. There's one class where the RNA is the drug, like it's the thing that actually has the therapeutic effect. That's stuff like siRNA. Uh, there's a number of companies using small molecules to modulate RNA. Um, that's not the piece of the RNA landscape that we're focused on right now. Where we're working in is the other class of things where RNA encodes the drug, where the, the protein that's encoded by the RNA is the actual therapeutic. And that's a more mRNA-like approach. Um, so we're really, like I said, that, that's our area of focus. And so you can think of it as RNA as a protein coding molecule. And that is just the mRNA, the circular RNA companies, the self-amplifying RNA companies. Those are the ones that, that, that are really our focus. And like I said, it's a, it's a huge difference, right? In one case, the RNA is the drug. It is the molecule that has the, the pharmacodynamic effect on the body. And in the other case, the RNA is just the messenger. I shouldn't say just, the RNA is the messenger. And whatever it encodes, is, um, is going to be what exerts the therapeutic effect on the body. So this means you have to design two things, though. You have to design not just the RNA to be a manufacturable, stable entity that gets uh, into the body, but you also have to make sure that whatever the RNA encodes is an effective molecule and does the job it's supposed to do. 
Uh, and that's why there's just so, so such radically different approaches, uh, whether you have RNA as the drug itself or RNA as a recipe uh, for the drug. So are you targeting the liver or are you able to get this to cells throughout the body? So we do have vehicles that traffic very well to the liver uh, and a few other spots as well. And we continue to expand our library on that front. Um, the liver is kind of a great organ from, uh, well, it's great because you need it to live, uh, but it's a great organ for protein production insofar as even if you have a vehicle that traffics primarily to the liver, uh, you can, it can produce a lot of secreted protein for body-wide distribution. And uh, we have generated some pretty interesting data on this. It's possible to have systemic therapies where you have RNA uh, that's delivered via a nanoparticle that traffics to the liver, and then the liver produces tons of protein, secretes it, and then that protein distributes throughout the body. Uh, so we're not limited to the liver, even if we have necessarily, unless we have a vehicle, uh, even if we have a vehicle that primarily traffics to the liver. But as I said, we can go other places too. Uh, we continue to expand our library uh, vehicles to, to go to different spots other than just the liver. Nutcracker has developed its Acorn platform, which allows for rapid discovery, development, and manufacturing of mRNA therapies and vaccines. How does this work? All right. So one minor correction, we stopped using Acorn. Um, so we, we generally call the manufacturing side of the platform, the Nutcracker manufacturing unit. Um, but it's probably at this point in the company's maturity, better to talk about the whole platform. Uh, and uh, Igor always likes, Igor Kandros, the CEO of Nutcracker, uh, always likes to describe us as a complete RNA platform company. Uh, and I'll say a bit about what that means. Uh, so we do more uh, than just sort of RNA manufacturing uh, with our platform. Uh, we have a complete suite of technologies that are required, essentially, if you want to be an RNA medicines company at the current time. Uh, so we have we break this down into three categories. There's the design category where we're designing RNA molecules computationally. Uh, there's a delivery category where we have our own proprietary um, vehicles, um, our own nanoparticles to get the RNA where it needs to go. And we have the manufacturing side. Uh, and then I'll just touch on each of those briefly. And if you have questions, I'm happy to follow up because it's it's a lot. The company's been around since uh, 2018, uh, really inventing all this technology. So. We, we, were, uh, we were there before RNA became sort of uh, you know, famous worldwide for its potency in the COVID-19 vaccines. But back, back to the start of the story, which is really around RNA design. So we've, you know, RNA design is actually a tremendously complex problem. Um, you know, there for a simple protein, like a relatively simple protein, let's say, like the COVID spike protein, there are billions and billions of RNA sequences that could encode that protein uh, because of a number of factors like degenerate codon usage. So choosing the right RNA sequence is actually critically important in terms of therapeutic design. Uh, and it's, as I said, it's a very large scale problem to have to solve. Um, there's also non-coding parts of RNA molecules, the five prime untranslated region, the three prime untranslated region, et cetera. Those also very dramatically affect therapeutic performance. So we've developed as part of our platform uh, some software called Codon Cracker, uh, which is essentially you know helps us solve this problem, helps us choose better sequences for our RNA-based therapies. Um, this is a, a computationally uh, pretty rich area for us. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but it's a problem you have to solve if you want to be making RNA-based therapies uh, with any with any sort of degree of reliability. So we've got that piece of the platform. We've got the delivery part of the platform, which is 
been all over the news in biotech with all of the, um, <laughs> the litigation around nanoparticle-based delivery vehicles. Uh, we have, we've carved our own space out uh, in this arena. Uh, we have our own, uh, we call them nutshells. Uh, we have our own nanoparticle chemistry, which we developed in-house and have established uh, IP around that we use for our, for our therapeutics. So we have, as I said, we have vehicles that traffic to different parts of the body. We have vehicles that are good for local delivery. Uh, we have nutshells that are good for systemic delivery. Uh, we have a whole host of different chemistries that we use to optimize the delivery of our therapeutics. Um, and then finally, we have uh, the manufacturing side. This is probably uh, what you first heard about when you first heard about Nutcracker. Uh, we have developed uh, this um, the Nutcracker manufacturing unit. Uh, this is a microfluidic uh, biochip-based system uh, for the production of GMP-grade uh, template, uh, RNA uh, drug substance, and RNA drug product. Uh, and so we intend to uh, manufacture material and supply our own uh, talk studies and clinical trials because we've developed this technology uh, for, our, for our own use. That's, that's a lot. That, that, that's the whole platform. Uh, and what it really does is it allows us to be an end-to-end -end RNA company. Uh, and it allows us to do things um, you know, that wouldn't be possible, to learn things that wouldn't be learnable if we were outsourcing our manufacturing. Would you be able to manufacture commercial quantities using this platform? So uh, at the present time, the platform is, is best suited for sort of trial scale quantities. We are working on a larger scale system, which we expect to be in place well in advance of commercial supply. Uh, so at that point, we should be able to provide uh, commercial grade, commercial scale material as well. Um, we're still a little ways from the clinic, so we've got some time to figure out uh, commercial supply for sure. You mentioned your co-founder, your co-founder and CEO, Igor Kandros, who was a founder of Berkeley Lights. It seems that your platform, in some ways, is analogous to what companies like Berkeley Lights is doing. Did his background help inform the platform technology for Nutcracker? Uh, I think it did. It's not as direct a connection as straight from Berkeley Lights to uh, mRNA or RNA microfluidics. Uh, but, you know, Igor's background is in the semiconductor industry, uh, and he's always looking for um, very elegant, uh, very automated, uh, very sort of um, uh, uh, sort of almost programmable approaches to solving manufacturing issues. And this is very much in line with how people uh, in the semiconductor world think of things. Uh, so when you think about RNA, uh, RNA is just kind of um, like a programmable language for the cell. So if you can figure out ways to make the RNA polymers in, a, in an efficient, uh, you know, clean, automated manner, you can create a lot of thera therapies very quickly. And I think that's what really drew Igor to the RNA space it is sort of once you solve the mRNA manufacturing problem, you can make an, almost an infinitude of therapeutics because you know how to make mRNA efficiently. And uh, that sort of uh, order and logic and automatability uh, really appealed to someone like Igor. Nutcracker describes its candidates as multimodal RNA. What is multimodal RNA? So this gets back to uh, one of the advantages I was describing previously uh, with RNA, where we're able to in include multiple RNA molecules in a single drug product. Uh, so each of those RNA molecules encodes a different therapeutic protein, 
Uh, and so when we give one of these RNA-based medicines to patients, we're not just giving them one effective drug. We're giving them, in the case of NTX0250, we're giving them three different molecules. Um, and so you're able to get a lot of the advantages um, of this multimodal approach very in a very straightforward manner using mRNA. And as I said before, in cancer uh, or in, and in precancer, this type uh, this type of multi mechanism approach is extremely advantageous because of the rapidity with which cancer cells can generate resistance, uh, as well as issues like tumor heterogeneity. You can really have a highly effective therapy by attacking multiple mechanisms at once, uh, and it's very very straightforward to do that uh, using mRNA. I, I take it in some ways it gives you the the flexibility to create almost a custom cocktail in that regard rather than finding a something like a kinase inhibitor that hits multiple targets at once. That's right. In fact, that's how we often describe it as an mRNA cocktail uh, to attack multiple vectors uh, you know of the tumor at once. Um, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the you know, two five zero uh, relatively soon. I can describe how we've um, you know built an interplay of the molecules in the therapy to try and drive a more effective drug. Well, let's talk about 250 now. What is okay. it and, and how does it work? Okay, so 250, it's our first product. Uh, this uh, will be in the, in the clinic uh, in the second half of next year. Uh, it is, as we were just describing, a, a multimodal uh, RNA therapeutic. It contains three RNA molecules. Um, and this is, this is being developed for HPV-driven tumors uh, and precancerous lesions. Uh, the latter point of which will be important uh, in a moment as I describe the drug further. Um, so this, um, this contains, uh, because it's against HPV, and HPV is, uh, just for those who are not familiar with the acronym, this is human papillomavirus. Uh, HPV is linked to a number of tumor types as well as uh, precancerous lesions, um, best known for its connection to cervical cancer, uh, to head and neck cancer, uh, and to an, a precancerous disease called cervical dysplasia. It's also in some rarer cancer types, uh, but this, these, some forms of HPV are, are very, very uh, deleterious and can lead to increased cancer risk. And so we developed this therapeutic um, against HPV and against these tumors. So the way it works, uh, it, as I said, has three RNA molecules, each of which encodes a different therapeutic protein. Uh, one of them will, will be no surprise uh, to those who are in the HPV field. Uh, it, one of them encodes uh, E6, E7 from HPV. Uh, and this is essentially uh, just to elicit T cells against this viral protein. So it's completely orthogonal to your body's biology. Uh, what having this, pro, this um, the E7, E6, E7 RNA in the therapeutic does uh, is ensure that your body produces an absolute ton of T cells against this viral protein. The other two molecules, uh, we haven't revealed what they are, uh, but they're two uh, proprietary uh, immunomodulate, uh, sorry, immunomodulatory molecules that are essentially designed to dramatically increase T cell infiltration into the tumor, so or into the precancerous lesion, uh, as the case may be. So what we're doing essentially is eliciting a tremendous T cell response, but we're also priming uh, the tissue uh, for a T cell invasion. So we're not just making the T cells, but we're sort of laying the groundwork for them to invade the lesions, essentially eradicate the cancerous or precancerous cells, and also eradicate the virus. Um, and as I tying it back to what we were just discussing previously, this is the advantage of RNA in that we can combine these three approach, these three molecules 
in a single therapeutic. And we don't just create the T cells, but we also create the environment in which those T cells can thrive. And that's why one of the reasons uh, we are so excited about the development of NTX0250 and bringing it into the clinic. Uh, what's the development path forward? So uh, as I mentioned, we're going to focus on HPV-driven disease. Uh, I think, you know, having had a chance to really look at the therapeutic, uh, we think we'll be, we'll be developing it primarily at, in uh, a disease called cervical dysplasia. Uh, this is, these are precancerous lesions that form on the cervix uh, and often lead to cervical cancer. Uh, so getting rid of them is a priority. It's a significant health risk for women around the world. Um, and there's a very elegant uh, set of previous experiments that have been done uh, to, to sort of a smooth development path in this indication. Um, so we'll be taking this uh, into the clinics, I said, in the second half of next year uh, with the goal of treating uh, patients with cervical dysplasia. And we may further advance this, depending on what we see, of course. Uh, we may also expand its use into later stage HPV-driven tumors in settings like, as I mentioned previously, cervical cancer, uh, as well as head and neck cancer, if the data looks really promising. You've been partnering with clinical investigators at medical institutions. What's the strategy here as far as building a pipeline this way? So that's part of how we build our pipeline, right? So you've, if you go to our website, you'll see we have a, a medical advisory board. And we've been fortunate enough to work with some leading investigators who are uh, as excited about the power of, of RNA as therapy as we are. Uh, so if you, if you go to our website, you'll see that we're working with Martin Cast. Uh, Martin is at USC, uh, and he is, he's been in the HPV field for, you know, for, I don't know, 30 years, uh, for quite, quite a long time, and is just one of the world's leading experts uh, in all the development of HPV therapies. So having his guidance and advice as we, as we uh, consider advancing uh, 250 into the clinic has been invaluable. Uh, you probably also saw that we have Larry Fong as well as uh, Peter Carroll from UCSF on our medical advisory board. They've really helped us think about how to attack you know, their areas of expertise. Uh, you, you may have seen, uh, we do have a therapeutic uh, NTX0470 uh, for genitourinary tumors. Uh, and having uh, uh, Larry and uh, Peter on our medical advisory board has been extremely helpful. Um, we are a highly collaborative company. Uh, we like to work with thought leaders, uh, hear what they, you know, hear what their experience has taught them about what works and what doesn't work uh, in the disease settings in which they are experts, and then build those learnings into our therapeutic strategies. Um, you know, everything we do is is really built around maximizing the chance of success in the clinic. Now, I realize that nobody goes into the, into the clinic to fail. Uh, but there's a lot to be learned uh, from historical drug development uh, and not repeating the mistakes of the past. Uh, and so that's why we're so excited to work with investigators uh, like Martin, Peter, and Larry, who have, who have had this depth of experience to help us make the best drugs possible. One of the challenges companies that have powerful and rapid discovery engines is that success gets expensive as you push a candidate through the clinic uh, it becomes increasingly more expensive to progress. What's the strategy for partnering to realize the potential power of the platform? Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. It is, it is incredibly expensive to bring drugs through the clinic. Uh, we do have some cost advantages because our manufacturing is internal. Um, and we pay the fixed cost of having a facility, but the incremental cost to make more material is actually relatively low for us. All that being said, you know, there is so much, as we talked about earlier, 
Uh, there is so much real estate in RNA drug development. Uh, we know that we have to partner to really get the most out of the platform. Uh, so I would say it, it's relatively early days, um, even though the company has been around for a while. Uh, we've spent the first you know, number of years of the company essentially inventing all of this technology. So really now is when we've started to engage with various pharma companies uh, to try and find um, you know, a good fit for both sort of our development philosophy and their pipeline and development strategy as well. Uh, so we'd very much like to find a pharma partner or two uh, that's really committed to exploiting the diversity uh, of things that RNA can do. Um, and, and that's just an ongoing effort for us. In March, the company raised $167 million in a Series C financing. That's no small feat given the difficult financing climate we're in. How's that money being used and how far will it take you? Uh, well, I mean, uh, the, the how, how's it being used is relatively straightforward. Uh, you can see our pipeline. Uh, we're advancing all three of those molecules towards the clinic as rapidly as possible. Uh, we're really hit, we really hit the gas on NTX0250 development. Uh, we think this is going to be an enormously uh, significant inflection point for the company. Um, you know, really anytime you enter the clinic, it's a big deal. Uh, but it's especially big for us because not only will the FDA be reviewing our drug, they'll be looking at our manufacturing platform, you know, our delivery vehicles. Everything about the platform will come under FDA scrutiny. Uh, you know, we're, really, we're really excited about this um, because once our IND clears, it means that the FDA has essentially judged our platform and our product sufficient uh, to be worthwhile to you know, expose to patients. Uh, so that'll be a huge inflection point for us. So we've really accelerated 250 development. The rest of it funds what you might imagine. You know, the rest of the pipeline, we're looking at adding more molecules to the pipeline. Uh, we continue to invest in the platform itself, you know, the RNA design capabilities, developing more delivery vehicles, continuing to enhance and improve and develop next generation manufacturing technologies. Uh, there's a lot to spend money on. Uh, and we're kind of, um, we're investing in all those things as we move forward. Jeff Nasrati, Chief Business Officer for Nutcracker. Jeff, thanks so much for your time today. No, my pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.